right, you know, Jenny, uh, we're, I'm recording. And uh, first of all, this is a momentous occasion. I think we need to mark it. It is. It's our second podcast. It is second. How many people... First post. ...never get to the second podcast? Lots, I'm sure. Right, so I think that's momentous. I'm sure I'm sure many people who are like, okay, well, they got that first one out there, but... Uh, I mean, it know, was an hour and a half. It, it was That's a lot minutes. of time. Yeah, well, I mean, we were bottled up. I mean... <laughs> We really had to we had to really let it go, but additionally, it's momentous. A lot has happened in the in the uh, eight nine days that have passed since we last talked. Because uh, we actually got a website, we did. We got a domain. Yep. And 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 the podcast has a name. It's true. None of these things did I do. Well, I would like to give them all. No, to you. I mean you you did. That's not true. Um, you did. Uh, I mean, certainly the naming was sure. Uh, I helped on yeah, that. Yeah, we, yeah, that sure. was a joint venture. Um, yeah, I went ahead and got and got the website, and uh, we we got it online. We have a podcast feed, although it still doesn't register with iTunes because um, I didn't touch my computer well, last that, night. That's a goal for this week. That's a goal See, for we this got a goal. Week. We'll get it registered f- with iTunes, and uh, we have an RSS we'll though, be, right? We have an RSS feed, so, so you, you can go. subscribe. Yeah, it just we won't be we won't get all the iTunes stuff. Oh, and we even have we have a logo or whatever album cover. Right, and so by the time this comes out, it probably will be in iTunes, and people should rate it, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Rate it highly, or, or rate it honestly. That should be the same sure, thing. Sure, whatever. <laughs> you probably know me in person, and I can find you, so. But that's the thing, is that you start you start reaching out. And, and you know, so I did a radio show years ago called Media Geek, and I ended in 2009, started in 2003. And I was podcasting it before it was podcasting, back when it was posting MP3s to a website. And then syndicating it to other community radio stations that had a half hour to fill. And, you know, and I, I 200 downloads a, a week. That was about the peak. Plus, you know, whoever heard it on the terrestrial airwaves, I guess. But yet still now, I still get emails. Once in a while, I used to listen to your show. So, you know, you never know where it gets out there besides the people you know. It's true. And and I was talking about, like, like media policy. Like, who? <laughs> not nearly as entertaining as anything not, we're going to take Kip up Not Kip Winger? Here. I no Kip Winger. I don't think ever got can we, mentioned. Can, can we mention Kip Winger every episode? Is that like a goal? Well, somehow make it a Kip Winger show. You know, Kip Winger recently scored, <laughs> recently scored a, a modern dance troupe. Really? Yes. So he has been really into sort of modern classical composition huh. in the last decade or so. He was. He trained as a uh, in ballet, so he he was a, a trained. He went to conservatory and everything in ballet, and would thought about uh, uh, apparently before he got into his career in in, in rock music. I uh, thought about pursuing more classical arts, but realized he thought he wasn't good enough, and it would and the the effort it would take to get good enough would take too long. It's so, kind of like the John Mayer story. Is that? Oh, I didn't realize John Mayer, that. Yeah, he went to Berkeley School of Music. He's like a well. Berkeley also a, graduates a lot of right, but I think he guitarists. was like a serious like jazz guitarist. I, I believe. I never thought so. What you're saying is that <laughs> Kip Winger is the proto John Mayer. He is. He is. Is Kip Winger like oh super? It, does the ladies? Did the ladies love him? Oh, I mean, the ladies, yeah, the oh, ladies yeah. love him. I mean, so. yeah. They, I mean, who is right, the Jennifer was, Aniston of the Kip Winger story? You know, I don't know. We have to figure that out. No, because he was married, and and his and his wife died tragically. I don't know how. And he wrote a whole album about it, its solo album. Um, so it, it was I think songs from the ocean floor. I know, I know too much. <laughs> you I really know, have exposed too, that much. you know too much about Kip Winger. Yeah, well, one Kip Winger fact every episode. That's, that's right. That's okay. how we're gonna build well, a story. Right. That's right. So we just got. So I'll, I'll we let that one out. But yeah. yeah. But but this idea that he is the proto John Mayer. Is 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 fertile ground. It never occurred to me because, of course, John Mayer wouldn't pursue pop metal now. I mean, that, it was no. not going to get you anything except forty-year-old no. uh, uh, women in, in in tight pants, um, or older now, I guess. Yeah. Even yeah, and an unfortunate hair, um, but it's the same basic thing, he, right? And he's totally like he sold out to like Apple, like he did all those Apple. Uh, I don't know who Kip Winger sold out to. I don't know yeah, who I don't wanted know. Kip but, Winger but to. But like, I uh, think that's like a really cool thing. Well, I think it's in the same way in the previous episode, how we discussed that Kip Winger would buy those t-shirts and rip them. That's right. I think that... <laughs> I had his roadie buy the t-shirts. Right, 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 Roadie right. find out who, who is hot and buy their t-shirts. But I think like if you're John Mayer and you're looking you're looking for girls, like you're going to be on at the Apple keynote. That's right. This is... That's, uh, <laughs> 
Wow, this is uh, this is this is this is fertile. This is this is really great. I, I just. So what is the next step for John Mayer now? Well, he had a TV show briefly on VH1, which was amazing, actually. Oh, I missed that. It's amazing, and I highly recommend it. You see, this is good, because I'm, I, I'm relatively out of touch of anything that's not as relatively esoteric. It's great. It's um, he's a total jerk. Well, that's but, I understand that narrative. It's come but to like life. it seems like he is aware that he is a total jerk. Well, no, it seems like he's aware that he is this like pop sensation, but he shouldn't be. Like, I, I guess my feeling about John Mayer is that he he knows enough about music and maybe talented enough, based on his training. I do not know that to be true. That he knows that what he's doing is a total joke. Like, mm-hmm. I think that he is, like, uh, it's complete performance art. That's my that's my opinion. But don't you think there's going to be that moment then when he goes, well, now I have to really express myself. I need to, now that I've got myself to this station, right, right. Where, where whatever I touch turns to gold and I can, I can get my label to buy it, now I have to make my, uh, my songs of the elder. I think he doesn't do that in music. I think he does that in other ways. I think he does it by being a dick in public, like in a performance art Joaquin Phoenix sort of way, like that he did all these jerky things in public. I think like so on his show, he does like focus groups with girls about (laughs) about like what would make his songs better or worse. (laughs) And like he's like, so would you cry more if I talked about this? And also he asks if like did one of them go stop playing. Yeah, that works. <laughs> no, they were they were like weeping. They're oh. like women openly weeping while he talks to them, and <laughs> in like a in like a conference room. And um, at one point, he's like, "So if I start, if I use the, I don't remember what company, but he's like, if I put their names in my songs, would that make you like ten percent less likely to cry, or twenty percent, or you know?" So so he seems like I feel like John Mayer. I would like to hang out with John Mayer. Is what I'm telling you. Even, Though I would even never if he's being a jerk. Well, because he seems cognizant. It's I don't think he's actually well. He's being a jerk to people. I would be a jerk to. Oh, okay. So I don't ever want to listen to something he sings, but I think he would be a, a fun guy to hang out with. So as long as he uh, no singing, keep the guitar out of the way. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He he and Justin Long and I could could yuck <laughs> it up, go out to some clubs. <laughs> it's totally. Totally all right. When next time they're in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. John Mayer and I. I'm sure we go to the same places. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. All right. Well, I think we've uh we will leave people wanting more Kip Winger trivia. <laughs> Perhaps some John Mayer trivia next time as well. We can come up with more There's, John Mayer trivia. Yeah, I think we are going to rule the Kip Winger tag <laughs> in the iTunes. I store. agree with that. Take that, Eddie that. Trunk. It's an idea we were sort of batting around to talk about today. Uh was this notion of, uh, roughly speaking, is this notion of integrity, integrity in art. Sure. You know. And I almost wanted to say that, that Eddie Trunk has integrity because he stuck with the ugly schlub look uh, long long into his media career when he could have been easily bullied into trying to uh, make himself, or at least dress more hip and handsome rather than just, you know, an old T-shirt with his gut hanging out. Don't you think, though, if you're a metal DJ, like, it doesn't really matter? Because, like, I think, like, I don't know. Well, also Eddie Trunk's married. He seems yeah. happily married. Yeah, that's so right. it doesn't he's, seem he's like he trolling. has yeah. DJs are the worst. Mm-hmm. As someone who's been in radio for, for more than twenty years, let me just say DJs are the worst. They all wear that shirt. That same shirt. Yeah. <laughs> that like, like the bowling shirt type. Yeah, the bowling yeah, shirt. Yeah, exactly. They always wear the bowling shirt. No, they're all like frustrated rock stars, right? Yeah. They all or, or frustrated comedians. Uh they all want they all want to be doing something like different, most of them. And but they, you know, they have a decent voice and know how to pace as they're on the radio. But and then, you know, that's why it's like when you see billboards with, 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 you know, for like the morning show, like we don't want to see you. It's the whole point of you being on the radio, you know, whether you're attractive or not. And a good portion of the time they're not, but I don't want to see you. But don't you think, I think that's been, uh, they're, they've sort of upped the ante because like a lot of famous people whose careers have washed up sort of become radio DJs now like morning show hosts, like your Danny Bonaducci, your Khloe Kardashian. Uh, So I think that's part of it too, is that, you know, people who were famous who are used to the headshot, you know? Right. I mean, and there's always been an aspect, right. Of where, where, you know, personal appearances and all of this, but, but, you know, 
especially, you know, male rock DJs, bringing it down to a very specific uh, subsection. They're, they're frustrated rock stars. They're frustrated wannabe rock stars. And, uh, and, and so they're trying everything they can to sort of adopt the pose. So the fact that Daddy Trunk is, is the polar opposite of that. And I think, I don't think he is actually a frustrated rock star. Yeah, I, think I don't he's think doing he is at all. exactly what he wants to do, which is a very rare thing for people to be doing exactly what they want to do and, and to be that sort of uh, comfortable with themselves that they can be the schlub on television. Well, and that is always the like uh, um, criticism of critics, I guess. I mean, mm-hmm. the, I think the classic one being the Steve Albini, like critics are just these people who can't play guitar and they rah, hate them. And I feel like that might be true of a good portion, but then there are people like, I don't think Roger Ebert wants to make movies. No, no, I, I agree. I think there are, there are critics who, who are truly doing what they want to do as well. Uh, but, and, and, <clears throat> but I think the more you see the baggage come out, the more you can tell the difference between, you know, a frustrated filmmaker and, and a film critic or, or a frustrated uh, musician and a, and a music critic. And, and I don't think that it, and you can be a musician or filmmaker and be a critic as well or not in, in, in it's, it's easier to be sort of a, the, you know, to be a, a non-famous, you know, home musician and a non-famous home filmmaker, although they do exist. Um, it's, it's, it's that line between you're frustrated, right? You know, that because right. you want to be that, you know, the same as the, the musician that you're criticizing versus perhaps you're happy just shredding and you're doing inner, what you love. Yeah. Doing what you love. Right. Never, never for money, always for love that, that whole well, I don't even know about never for money, not for love. That's not a primarily point for make. primarily for money or prim- no, I mean primarily for love. Like guy shredding who loves shredding in his basement would do it for money, but knows that he can't. So, or made choices in his life that made that difficult. Sure, I mean it's. I don't know if it's about can't or won't. Luck is a big piece of it, isn't that's, it? No, that's true. Right. I mean, it, it, there is being in the right place at the right time and making that right decision at that time that we don't have control over. Yeah, I mean, I think, though, with the general topic today, I feel like I the thing that is totally my number one pet peeve is when people um, call successful people lucky instead of, like, hardworking. And, I, I mean, I think right, there's sure. some small percentage of people who just got pulled up from uh, the audience, you know. Well, Henry Rollins <laughs> is lucky, right? But he also works really, works really, 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 hard. really no, hard. I agree with you. In fact, I, I agree with you 100% on that. Luck always figures in but it, i think rarely is it decisive sure right? i mean you have to like take advantage of it mm-hmm. exactly and i and you're right i think and 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 i think that's where it gets into this argument about integrity especially from the standpoint of a critic because often uh when someone does work hard it, it's branded as lacking integrity or branded as someone or selling out or branded as as uh because they're working too hard at something that they think they shouldn't so like if you if you have a band right and you want to get gigs you got to get out there and you got to pimp yourself right, right? you got to get your tapes or your your, your demos out there you got to get you got to talk to the the bookers and you just got to work that angle left and right and to an extent you know maybe you have to even depending on the city and where you are you have to be a little obnoxious about it and take some awesome headshots right and you might have to take awesome <laughs> headshots right you might have to or or or, or band photos right? right I mean you know you get to engage in that marketing aspect right. and some folks will say well that's all just image. You know, you're working real hard at something, but it's not working at your music. And yet, if you only ever work at your music in your garage and no one hears it, then that you only ever do it in your garage. Right. Yeah. Or, I mean, and there's the flip side of that, which is like you're uh, half Japanese and you don't ever work at your <laughs> your instruments. But but because of the machine of, of folk music, you are now famous. And yet they probably worked really hard at what they do and don't know. <laughs> sure. No, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess working really hard at at the the music part of it doesn't preclude working really hard at the other part of it and vice versa. I think mm-hmm. like you could do – I mean, I think the Motley Crue bi- autobiography, which is my favorite book ever, is is sort of like only working at the – well, most of it is about working at the – uh, getting an image in Hollywood sort of section. But then there are sections where it's like, well, that's because for the first 20 years, 
all we did was sit in our guitar by ourselves and play guitar or play the drums, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. They had to get up to that level of skill in which they could almost take for granted the ability to play a show. Right. And I think as much as Motley Crue is about image, uh, more than most bands, um, I don't think anyone would say like Tommy Lee can't play, play the drums. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, that's my opinion. I don't know. Do you, you think? You think he can't? I think he can. I don't think anyone oh, would yeah, say that yeah, he no, can't. I don't think anyone would say. And, and, and it certainly, I mean, I haven't listened to his more recent output in uh, period. So I, I have to think back to more like, say, Dr. Feelgood. Sure. And think that, that the drumming on <laughs> As there you always should. Is, is uh, pretty competent, yeah. if, not, if not pretty good. It's, right. it's certainly not the weak part of the album. No. <laughs> it's not the drumming. There are other weak parts, but that's not one of them. I mean, you may not like it, but right, it's right. not It's not that they can't. I own Dr. Feelgood. <laughs> I owned Girls, Girls, Girls. I have, I have. Shout of the Devil. I have dressed as Tommy Lee for Halloween. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, with did other you, people. Did you use stilts? Um, no, I didn't. I did. Uh, I did have a Pamela Anderson, which was awesome. Okay. Uh, you had a video camera with you then. <laughs> <laughs> I did not actually, uh, but I did. Uh, I did have to ace bandage my my boobs. <laughs> yeah, he's a little skinny. Yeah, he doesn't have man boobs. He does not. Not even now. Go. go. I, I mean, he's just. He does own a, a Starbucks franchise in his house. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's the world's smallest start Starbucks franchise. I mean, that's how he can guarantee you can always get Starbucks, right? I think it's a brilliant idea. Go like, what, what, a, want. what a brilliant idea to develop what to do with your money. Like, it's mm-hmm. such a stupid thing, but that's so awesome. Well, there's dumber things, though. Yeah, there's totally dumber things. You know, he, he, he could he could have gone and gotten a very rare, expensive Italian espresso machine that he'd never know how to work. Sure. Or you could get real fucked up in an expensive car and kill someone from Hanoi Rocks. Yeah, well, he didn't do that now, <laughs> see? And never forgive Vincent for that. <laughs> right. We'll never forgive him for that. Right, exactly. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's a wholesome thing. I think it's very cute. Indeed. But, you know, the, right, I ought to read this book. I, I oh, it's I, the best I, book I, ever. And and But he did pay attention to that. And people would dismiss them out of hand simply because of that um, without ever listening to their music. Right. Whether or not their music might appeal or might not appeal. Sure. I mean... I think I, I think it goes back to something we said last time where I, if you were in a box where you didn't hear anything about this band, would you like them or not? You know, whether I, I to be popular, to be successful, you do have to do that advertising bit. Um, but that advertising bit might throw someone off. I mean, I think everyone's mm-hmm. had that experience where it's like, oh, that band seems terrible. And then right. you listen to them and you're like, oh, their marketing's terrible, but the song's really awesome. Mm hmm. Oh, absolutely. And, and I mean, I have a personal reaction all the time and there's all sorts of, 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 of music that I, or other, other sort of cultural artifacts yeah. that I've sort of said, okay, I've seen that. I don't need to see that now. Uh, yeah. I, right or there's wrong. nothing about it. Right or wrong. Right. Right. I, you know, there's a filter man. Cause there's only so much I can take in in any given day or month. Uh, so, you know, a little, you know, I do employ a little bit of a filter, but I think going back more to, to the point where you seem to be going is that it's an idea of, it's especially, you know, in, in, in alternative culture or, or whatever you want to call it now. It's almost, the name is, is pretty useless. Non-mainstream. Non-mainstream. There is this sense of, of uh, having poor regard for, for success, right? Or, you know, again, the sort of notion of, well, you were lucky. Or, and, and I think what, what really the, the narrative that's underneath that is that why him or her and not me? Sure. You know, and, 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 and so, and maybe it's not always because you're a musician and they're a musician or whatever, but there, there's that undercurrent or, you know, or why him or her and not my friend or why him or her and not my favorite band or, you know, and, and, and to me, it's sort of a, a waste of time, but, but it's understandable, right? Because if you, if you think about it in terms of the notion of luck, right, and, and if, if you put too much on it, then you start to say, well, you know, then... I'll never, I just won't even try because I, I I'm not going to succeed. Right. I'm not, you know, let's, let's say I, I'm, I'm, I'm a blogger and you see somebody who gets a book deal right, right. from their blog and you're like, you know, oh, the white, what white people thinks white people like guy. Oh, you just did that to get a book deal. Right. right? That I was just you know, architected to get a book deal and you did. And you're not a re, you know, you don't really care. You're not really, you know, you're not really blogging from the heart, you know, and you know, oh, why do I? You know, I'll, why do I even bother with the blogging? Right. I yeah, and and the the real question there is like, do you want to do the work to get a, blo- a book deal? Because it's like a lot of 
pain in the ass work. Right. And there are some people who, you know, maybe stumble into it more, who either through cleverness or dumb luck tap into a zeitgeist at the right moment, find that topic or subject that, or that style of music or the tune or whatever that for whatever reason, and mostly this is beyond any of anybody's control, people respond to. And then you can also be more uh, clever is maybe not the right word, but a little bit more uh, uh, calculating and see what people tend to like and what seems to be popular and try to make something that hits that tone. Yeah, I think, though, that, you know, when people tell that success story in retrospect, they say like, oh, you know, I just happened to be sitting around with my friends and we were talking about what white people like. But in reality, the person who did that, and I don't, I can't tell you that about that person specifically, but most people who have a successful project, I feel like, throw a lot of things against the wall and have like seven failed projects before they have like an awesome project. Yeah, because they kept trying. Right. And and a lot of it is is what's tough is, you know, if you want to be successful at something, and let's define success in, in sort of, that we're talking about traditional success, which means uh, perhaps being able to make a living at it at the very least, and perhaps uh, finding, especially in terms of cultural output, finding people who are willing to support you in doing it by buying your artifacts or, or, or paying to see you or whatever, such that, you know, you're not merely doing it as a hobby now, but you're able to somehow gain at least part of your living from it, right? That kind of financial career success in a cultural kind of realm. There's a lot of that work that sucks, Besides just making the thing that is cool. Well, and I think in the art world, or I mean music and art, all creative things, talking about money is sort of verboten. I mm-hmm. think like as someone who gets invited to speak at things, in some places I've gone to speak, it's they don't talk about like how much you're going to get paid till the end. It's, <laughs> right. um, yeah, you know, right. it's like, here's some beer tickets, you know, but I think there's, if you're the proud of person who's like upfront, like, okay, what's the situation here? it's sort of seen as weird mm-hmm. and not like that. You're not doing it for love. You're doing it for love and money, which mm-hmm. is not, not good. Right. Right. You know, and you know, I, I don't really, I mean, I understand it and I, and I, I'm certainly, I think at times have, have held the idea and, and been and acted more according to that. Um, but I, I no longer, I mean, I definitely no longer think it's a really practical way of looking at the world. And, you know, I mean, could we conceive of a world in which artists are supported and people can do what they like? Sure, but somebody's still going to have to cook the food and, and clean the toilets. And maybe we are, you know, maybe there's that world in which all of us take a turn in cleaning the toilet and cooking the food, and we all get to make our music and live. And 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 that's a wonderful world. I, I mean, but it's utopian, and it's not happening tomorrow unless you go start a collective and go off and make that happen. And that's okay too. <laughs> I mean, if you want to go do that. <laughs> But I just sort of look podcast at, ten, our collective, our collective, but <laughs> with a but, K. But when you're right here in the here and now, right, you, you, you grapple with the world as it is and and try to make make your way in it, you know. And if you decide that what you'd really prefer to do is to make your thing, you know, then it's probably not a bad idea to try and figure out how to do that. But don't you think there are people who don't want to make a thing ever? Like they want to work at, as a waitress or, or as, that's cool. you know, yeah, I mean, but I'm saying, I yeah, think that I mean, those spots fine. are already full. I don't think that like, we need to be like, we all need to take a turn. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it, this is my magnanimous 1% <laughs> opinion. No, I, I, but I mean, I think that there, uh, I think that it is changing like Kickstarter type stuff. Sure. I the more you can get in contact with those people because you don't need much from you know I don't need to clean that many toilets to make the ten dollars I'm gonna right. give to a band, um, or you know some other pro- or a RoboCop. Yeah, statue. and I'm not making an argument about now. I'm just sort right. of is in response to this an argument I've often heard more in sort of left circles of the sort of of the well you know the cult you know society should support artists and help them to do what they want to do right. Um, often heard from leftist artists, you know, who are making art that only appeals to us to a small number of people and who don't want to do the business of getting their art out there. Right. And that's okay. Yeah. You can be there. That's all right. That's a, those are choices you can make. But demanding that everyone else sort of come along for the ride with you is a is a different is it is a different side to it. Yeah, and I mean, I think uh, this is one of the 
great things about capitalism is that, <laughs> you know, there are people who really want to do a variety of things. And then there are people who really don't have a major interest in something, but will do it for the amount of money they're given. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and then they can reappropriate those funds to the guy who, you know, makes the RoboCop statue. Yeah, and I don't even know if that necessarily has to be part of that's even capitalism per se. It's it's sort of a uh, it, it's pre-capitalistic in a lot of ways. Sure. Yeah, know? like barter. Precisely right. I mean, it. it I mean, it's. It, I think it's it's far. It it has far less to do with capitalism and more to do with figuring out the value of your own labor and the value of your own output and trying to enter into consensual relationships with other people who share your values somewhere along the line. But I think the yeah, I think the artists that are winning at that sort of idea. Um, are people who actually are doing things that are what they really, really want to do instead of, say, putting up all those posters and, you know, mm -hmm. taking band shots that are not exactly what your band looks like but are made to look like a thing that you think people will buy. Well, I mean, but are you saying that, I mean, that they're not doing any of that at all or that they're 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 doing, you know, they're, they're realizing that they, maybe they have to have a demo or they have to have the, 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 the shot of the band or whatever, but they're not necessarily trying to tailor it to appeal to people who wouldn't otherwise like what they're doing. I mean, I think they're doing it like a nine to five job, but they're not doing it. Yeah. In the traditional music sort of way where it's like, well, um, your band doesn't have a girl. So like, oh, okay. you know, yeah. have a hot girl play the triangle. So you're saying something. people who are doing what they really want to do and also figure out a way to make it work. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, sure. I think you still have to work nine to five in the same way. Well, maybe not nine to five, maybe the other nine to five, but, um, I think you still have to put in those hours. I mean, I think there's or more in fact, very yeah. often way yeah. more. I mean, just like you would, but if you're really into it, it doesn't really matter, I guess. But I, I heard an interview with, um, John Darnell, which I think is not how you pronounce his name, from the Mountain Goats. Yes. Uh, and he that's his statement. He's like, I work nine to five because that I ha this is my job. I am a rock star. Mm -hmm. um, I don't care if I throw out all those songs. I get up every day. I do this. And I think in the integrity line of thought, I, his thing is also he now destroys all of the of the extra songs that he doesn't put on CDs <laughs> because someone got some of them and released them and he didn't want them to be released. Okay. And so now he's like, I would have given those out for free, but now I'm not going to, now mm. I'm destroying them from the future on, which I was like, which is like the super integrity right. position. Well, that's, I mean, that's his stuff. It's his right to do. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. and that was the discussion. Mm -hmm. People were, were like, well, it's your right to do it, but we're your fans and we're going to love it no matter what. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, his position was very like it's not your stuff it's my stuff you don't get get to have this which i mean i'm sure turns some people away sure well i mean but how is that different from lars ulrich like closing down no, Napster? absolutely and 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 so i mean for me it's when i when i talk about the integrity thing i because I, I see it is it's 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 actually it's a defensive it's a defensive offense in that it's a way of 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 dismissing others work um, so that you don't have to actually estimate it or you don't actually have to take it seriously. If you can, if you can find a reason to make it, to make it non-estimable, inestimable, uh, then, then, then you can do so. And then, and often people though turn it on themselves and it becomes an excuse for not doing work in the, well, I can't, I won't do this because until I can do it right or until I can do it under these circumstances or until I have the means or whatever to, to do it, I'm not going to, I don't want to. And that's okay, but when you also when you throw it at other people and then you sort of throw it and bounce it yourself, it, it, it's 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 not constructive at the very least. Right. I mean, that's always what they say. Like whenever anyone's I hassle someone I know, like when are you guys having kids, and they say, "Oh, we're not ready yet," and then people say, "Oh, you're all you're never ready to have children," but but someone en ends up getting knocked up, so it forces the <laughs> issue. But I think artistically that never happens. Right, right, because uh, very rarely does something force the issue. And sure, there are times when you are more ready or less ready. And and I'm not telling anyone that you need to just jump in and do something. Quit your job. You know, right. It's it's more to me. It's 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 I guess uh, it's more for your own for your own benefit, not necessarily the benefit of anybody else. Uh, try to be honest with yourself and, and, and say, am I is it that I'm not ready or I am scared or 
I'm a person who is more scared of this than other things, and I need to deal with that before I can do it, which which is a reasonable thing to say. You know, it's like, like quit your job. Okay, well, I'd like to have more money in the bank first. Sure. Uh, I get it. It's difficult for me to deal with the level of not having more money in the bank. This is safer. Okay, well, admit it. Okay, and and that's yours to own or whatever. Somebody else is not going to have the same response. Well, I wonder if it's sort of the adult version of, I mean, I guess when you're 22, you know, and or date many dudes who are in a band and don't have a real job and like aren't really in a band like like they're they like play for an hour a day they like the idea of being in a band. yeah they like the idea of being band they might go, they might have shows but like they don't it's not a nine to five for them right. um and but but they say like that's their mission that's their agenda um and i think maybe the adult version is like i don't want to be that guy mm-hmm. but um so i'm gonna do my responsible job God, I hate working with people like that. Uh, you know, in my responsible job, uh, you know, I went through just uh, went through a period where I, you know, I almost quit, and for for you know, because I needed some accommodation, and some accommodation came my way, and it was a negotiation, but because I couldn't do that, because to me, going in every day, really frustrated about aspects of the job, and finding it was really getting in the way of me doing the parts that I really like was getting to the point where I that was intolerable. That that was going to be absolutely intolerable. And it's intolerable because of, of, of but it also makes me intolerable. It makes me <laughs> a dick, right? And 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 working with people, because I've worked at universities for so long, right? And and whether they're private or public universities, university jobs can be a lot like government jobs. They're very hard to get rid of people. And it's very easy to just sort of come in and 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 hum along and and be sort of just barely uh, barely really in it. And I meet people who are not into it. Right. And, and you can tell because you need them to, to do something and they only sort of want to do it. And, and they don't, and there's never good reasons. And, and, and if you push them a little bit to go, come on, I need you to do this thing, please. You get, you tend to get more resistance. And you're just like, oh, if you're, you know, and I always feel like if you're so damn unhappy, Go someplace where you'll be happy. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Why share the unhappiness? Well, I think there's a couple things. I think there is that thing we talked about about um, uh, the idea that it's not cool to be super into your thing. And I I, I guess I feel that way in that, you know, what I do for a living, no matter what job I'm at, is what I want to do for a living. It is the only choice. It is, for me, I mean – it is something I do at home. It is something I do, you know, when I'm eating Skittles. It is what I do. So, and you chew for a living. <laughs> no, I organize things. Um, and and like just this weekend, some coworkers mocked me for for separating my Skittles um, into colors and then eating them in order. Uh, but you know, like that's like it is the mania that I have been given, and it is it is I've made it work mm-hmm. as a job. But. Uh, I don't think most people feel that way. I think, and I don't know what it's, I mean, I know what it was like before I had my job, my current line of work, my current career. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, I, I mean, I, I wonder if part of it is, you know, you get a terrible job after college or after high school and you just think this is what terrible, what, what jobs what, are. What They're jobs terrible. Are and it can't be better. Yeah. I think there's also, um, no one questions, in order to get in order to get into a job that's awesome, you have to sort of make a plan, and you have to ask like, what would make you happy? Hmm. And I think a lot of people don't know the answer to that, or they think the answer to that is playing professional baseball, like something totally unattainable, um, or you know, it was on unatt- something. You know, when you're 15, most people who are 15 have like an unattainable goal, and you know, of everyone who wants to be in a really famous band at 15 you know, 0.01% get into a famous band, right? So when that dream dies for you at 25, you're, you were never, you were never, you never wanted to play guitar in your basement. Mm-hmm. Playing guitar in your basement was an, a, a place on the, on the road to being in an awesome famous band. And the funny thing though, is that I think of that. And yet I've met people who make really good living playing a guitar. And and maybe they're not in bands. Right. Uh, something that there's often not enough of is, say, studio musicians who can sight read. <laughs> because you know, all these guys in bands know how to play their own music or play something by ear, but never picked up reading music. And it's one of those things like, it's not that hard to learn. 
Right. Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's I like I have a very specific and weird job and I feel like uh, a week doesn't go by where someone says, like, how did you get qualified to do this? Yeah, I have the same thing. I have a very specific <laughs> and weird job, too. And what I have to say is, I mean, I didn't know what the hell I want to do. I went to graduate school because I'm good at going to school. And I didn't really want to be a professor per se. I wanted to research interesting things. There were things I thought were sort of exciting. And I was good at it, right? And if you're good at going to school and you go to college, people will naturally encourage you to go to graduate school, right? Because they're like, oh, you know, only so many people are good at this. So you go because you're like, okay, uh, sure, I'll go to graduate school. I'll study these interesting things. And then you realize that it's not as simple as that, or at least I did. <laughs> and then you change programs because you would go. And, and, and what I learned about myself is I'm, I'm a bit of a polymath. I get bored easily, um, you know, so you do those two things and I'm always doing 12 things. Right? right. And, and what I managed to do on the side in graduate assistantships is get these jobs doing the things I like to do when I wasn't doing school. And because they just suddenly, you know, and, and needed someone who could do this, who, who knew how to work uh, video decks and work cameras and stuff but who also kind of knew how to talk to the academics because they had that side, right? Because the, and it was just the right place at the right time. That's the luck aspect. Well, uh, yeah, I think there's a few things in there that you're discounting. Yeah. So I think uh, a lot of people who don't have college or master's education think that you get a master's degree and you can just have any job you want. Right, right, exactly. And so they think, especially if you're bad at school, I th they think that that's the only thing that's holding them back mm -hmm. from a job. So, if they know they're bad at school, they're not going to apply to college, you know, right. at 40. Um, so that then you're never going to make your dream happen. That's the, well, that's what's standing yeah, in between yeah, you and your that, dream. And, that, and, and, and believe me, uh, universities and colleges uh, capitalize on that on that line of thinking. I mean, big time. <laughs> right. And, and then there's, you know, the idea that you had to take some jobs to get through school. OK, so you had to do things that you knew. Uh, perhaps at the beginning that you weren't into, but then you found something in those jobs to make it work. And I think ha the idea of being at a job you don't like for a lot of people is like, I'm here nine to five, then I'll leave. Mm -hmm. um, it would never occur to them to like create a thing they liked at that job. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that's what I would love to encourage people to do. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I had the graduate assistantship running this little media lab because they, they the funding ran out and they could only afford to have a grad assistant do it. I got the job because when I visited and I talked to the director and I said, oh, you've got you've got this kind of video deck. And he's like, you know how to work that stuff? <laughs> I said, yes. He's like, I have a job for you. Simple as that. Right. But, you know, and then as it went along, uh, I wrote a new job description because I knew they needed to hire somebody to replace someone who retired. And I hung around long enough. They finally gave it to me. And I realized that I'm doing the stuff I like, which was messing around with media's media making stuff. Uh, a little bit of management, a little bit of, you know, everything, you know, using the different things I, I knew. And it was more fun and more interesting than beating my head on pre-dissertation research. And I think also the ability to talk your way into things is will get you farther sure, than any absolutely. college degree ever. And, and, and part of that is and, and to me, I'm not even I would have told you I was bad at that. And I would have told you that so much of the time uh the fear of rejection was so overwhelming that I, to even have any gumption to go do that was, took a lot, took a lot of revving up and a lot of prepping myself to, to be able to do that. Uh, being afraid of the judgment and being told, no, that this can't happen. And, and, you know, I mean, part of it is that I, because I was looking as my backup plan, it was a little easier to do than because my official real plan was still to finish graduate school and get a PhD. Well, and my feeling is if you have jobs where they do keep saying no about that, like leave that job. Right. Well, and that's, <laughs> and that's where I've come to at this point, right. Is, is much more so that. And so now I realize that I get jobs where they need this strange mix of skills. They're not going to find too many people or they'll find somebody who's really technically competent, but is a nightmare to work with in, individually because they don't have the people skills, you know, or because they're very, you know, and, and maybe there would be somebody who could work with them who, who knows how to work with that, with someone who's like that, but who isn't going to fit into a management structure very well. Yeah. And I think uh, a major thing is that if you're somewhere long enough, um, or especially if you're at the same place that you worked for your whole adult life, um, any sort of dysfunction at your employer is totally, you can't see that. Yeah. You can't see that it's dysfunctional. You just think all jobs are like that. And I think that's a real problem for people. Not really, you know, they hate their job, but you know, they've been here for 15 years. So where else are they going to go? All jobs are like this. Mm -hmm. you know? No, I agree. And, and, 
and it's interesting because, you know, these are all just things that people believe, right? None of this, it doesn't get tested, right? Well, unless you read The Secret. I think that's why The Secret, <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm saying this totally, no, totally. I, I, I hear you, I hear you. I, I, think, I think The Secret is good. I, I think uh, Joel Osteen is awesome. Uh, and And both of them really just say, you know, write down what you want in life, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people don't do. I think, I mean, including myself, you just think, I mean, at some point, you're just like, I need a job so I can eat because I have a lot of student loans. And sometimes you do. I mean, <laughs> and, 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 I mean, you do have to work at things right now as well as work at things down the line. Yeah. And I, the older you get and the more, you know, after you pay off those student loans or even if you don't ever, um, the more you're like, well, I have to keep doing this without thinking about where yeah. I'm going. Or how I could do this you know, pay these bills and not hate every Monday morning, right. not hate every morning. I have, I've noticed this trend that, um, all of my friends from college, especially who knew what they wanted to do straight out of college, which wasn't, I would say that's 10% of the people I knew, um, had sort of this crack up like three years ago, um, <laughs> where they were, where they had done that thing for a really, for like 10 Down years. Like 10, 10 yeah. Years, yeah. And then they were like, this isn't the thing I want to do my whole life. Mm-hmm. It was like kind of, you know, they divorced their college girlfriend, basically. Uh, and the rest of us didn't know what they want. We wanted to do, so we just like dicked you around. Comfortable, yeah, yeah. And around. and some all of them now are like settled into a job and have some kids or a house or something. And uh, the people who knew what they wanted to do sort of still haven't gotten it back together because they just have no, they have no way, they have no process around figuring out what you want to do they never figured that they never did that and i don't think there's a way to give people that process like i mean that it's that floundering is part of that process no exactly it's It's getting comfortable floundering right and i think if you if you know you're floundering you're better off than sitting there being angry in your job or whatever it is you do being angry and and uh feeling overlooked and and uh you know being angry at your boss and the world and treating people crappy better to flounder a bit. <laughs> yeah. But I think, and I think the response is like, I'm going to go to law school is usually that response. Like, <laughs> right. I don't know what I want to do with my life. I'm going to, I'm going to take a jillion dollars in loans and go to law school or take, get an English degree at like a seventh tier school. Right. And, 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 and for, and again, for some people that works out well and for other people, it maybe it helps get them over the hump. I think it works well if you're like, I'm actually doing this just to screw off for a couple right. of years. I don't think it works well. And I think it could be done cheaper. Well, probably. and the culture says that's okay, right? The culture says that it's that going to school is is an okay way to screw off, right? Even though it might be cheaper just to take out some loans for your living expenses for the same period and actually screw off. Yes. Yeah. I, well, there's this whole recent um, drama in, in the archives world. So if you get an archives degree and you want to stay in the same city you live in, like there's just no jobs and, and all of the archives jobs are pay like under $30,000 a year. Um, and so there's this idea that library schools keep churning out archivists, but no one is hiring archivists at all. And um, most archivists expect to be unemployed for like a year and then get like a, a crap part-time job that pays like $12 an hour um, with all the, even though they have like another master's degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but like the school's not going to tell you like, Hey, maybe you shouldn't major in archives. Like that's a bad plan. Oh, no, I mean, that's the same thing as PhDs, right? I mean, where, you know, they're graduating more PhDs than there can possibly be uh, professor jobs for, especially in the humanities. Uh, but, but yet no one will tell you that. And especially if you're at a, at a top, more top tier school, uh, they'll actively, inculcate you against that saying well it just means you need to work harder right because it'll be a failure if you don't you know go out into a tenure track job somewhere but see i don't get that because like that whole system now is breaking down and those people don't have money to pay people to get phds anymore you know but they do uh they do have money because there still needs to be somebody to teach you know the discussion sessions of 100 level courses yeah i guess that's true and and so i mean that i mean that i mean that's a system that's that that is breaking down sort of has been breaking down with the unionization of graduate students when they realized that they weren't really you know when they weren't teaching things that they were learning so much as that they were just the easiest hired hands that would still let the uh college university get its accreditation yeah 
you know, and again, right, it's just some breaking down, but it hasn't broken down. It's in the process of breaking down. Um, you know, you bring it back even, you know, the, the, the faculty who sit there and tell you, well, you're a failure if you don't get a tenure track job or at least try to get a tenure track job and an adjunct for five years on, uh, you know, teaching uh, 15 courses a year for, for $27,000 a year, no benefits. Uh, it goes back to that job, that notion of integrity, right? Of, of we're drawing a line for you that, that we consider you don't qualify, whatever that means, until you make that line, or at least you try to make that line. And if instead you go and you get that community college job, or instead you decide that you're going to uh, not even go into academe altogether, maybe go into private industry or go into nonprofit or something, that because you didn't even try to get that, that job, you're dead to us kind of notion. So I guess my question is, how do you feel about people who, you know, have this nine to five that they do not like, but do not hate? But only do so that they can jam in their basement. I mean, that's fine. I mean, I don't. I is I don't kind of care. I find it annoying when I have to deal with people in that professional sense who are clearly pissed off about their job. But no, I think there. there's a difference between being pissed off and right. then being like, "Yeah, I just do this." No, job. I, I mean, I think that's fine. You, I mean, if that makes you happy, if if that satisfies you and you are happy with it, then I don't see any problem with it. I think that's the that's the barometer, right? You know, aside as long as whatever makes you happy doesn't hurt other people, right? If if if, if uh, what makes you happy is kidnapping children and sawing them up in your basement, <laughs> then no, that's not okay. Even if it's just your hobby and you have a nine to five job. Well, I'm trying to get employed doing that, but it's really difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the market for that is really. I mean, ever since you know, ever since like the UN Human Rights Commission, and, uh, you know, it it didn't, and, and, and that you can get brought up for, for for war crimes and crimes against humanity. It doesn't work. But I think, yeah, I mean, if if someone if that works for that person, that that combination of maybe not having to. Uh, risk rejection over the thing they love, mm-hmm. um, but allows them to do the thing they love and they make a good living. I don't see any problem with that. I, I, I don't judge that. That's fine if they're happy. There seems to be this recent trend of people I know, uh, specifically, I think, ladies I know, who have like a job that they're super into and then date or marry a dude who has no job and has no inter- has no has not figured it out. <laughs> And, and like, if they were 20, I could get that because they're in a band, you know, mm-hmm. that's going to make it. Um, but it's this weird trend. I feel like uh, women are pulling ahead in that situation where it's because I think it's been hammered in you, especially in my age group. I feel like since you've been a kid that you're going to go to work and you're going to, you know, you should have a serious career. And I think that that there are all these guys now who, I mean, probably, I guess that wasn't these hammered. These guys in their 30s. 30s, Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, that we're just given the regular spiel. I mean, I think all of the girls I know, women I know who, who are in my age group kind of, it was expected that they were going to have a job that wasn't. Well, I think it's expected of, of the everyone. men too, but they, <laughs> uh, it's, it's also was more of a, is there was a, a cultural trope where, um, it's also cool to rebel against that, you know? And so maybe. And so you already have engendered some of the rejection of your family or whatever. They've already given up on you, perhaps. And they're like, well, he's, you know, he's never going to really have a real job or whatever. And they just kind of give up. And you can adopt that kind of cool trope of like, well, you know, I'm not going to, you know, what, I'm not going to, no one's going to pay me for what I'm good at. Or, or, and I think right. many of these guys probably are in that, well, I'm not going to sell out. Yeah. Right. Or uh, I would do that, but I can only do it with integrity. Or I think it, a lot of it is this, like, I haven't figured out what I want to do with my life. But you find a lot of excuses for why then you're not you going to do anything. Yeah. Right. Right. Like I do know a lot of people who are at a job they hate and are waiting to get like laid off. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the meantime, they're not like planning something. Right. Well, and that, I mean, and that's tough, right? I mean, I think that the, that's almost all in a conversation. It is tough because if you're in a situation that you hate, that actually sucks a lot of your energy. No, it totally and, does. And, and so finding that space to do that hard work of figuring out what you want to do next can be, can be overwhelming, you know? I mean, and so I have, I have a lot of empathy for somebody in that situation uh, who, isn't planning for the next thing because it's sort of overwhelming to deal with the circumstance they're in. Um, 
Right, but it's not allowing them to quit and move on either. Right. So and it's like dicking them into the same revolving door right. situation. How do you how do you burst out of that? Because at some point you, you kind of have to. And whether it's whether it's phoning it in more in the job you hate so that you you have that energy or seeing that as a choice and taking control of that in your life and saying, well, I'm still choosing to be here. Because that's kind of where I was at. I was like, right. I'm going to choose to be here or I'm not. And if I'm choosing to be here, then it can't be soul-sucking. And it can't be hitting me and knocking me Can out. you choose to phone it in? No. Personally? No, yeah, it's I not can't. good for me. It's really hard. And that's... But that I don't know that that I don't I I don't want to say that's a universal. I just know that I don't for think me, it's universal at all. No, I, I just know for me, once I'm phoning it in, it feels bad. It feels real bad. I don't. I mean, I don't want to. You know, I can't be more articulate than that. So I do what it takes to not have to phone it in. I mean, in the same way that like if if every time you walk out the door, someone punches you in the face and and it hurts. You're going to work real hard how to figure out not to get punched in the face. But it seems like there's so many people following it in at jobs. Like, I, I've had a job. I mean, I've had a couple of jobs where, like, someone got fired. And then you realize that that's, like, the that's where, where the line is. Mm-hmm. And that line is so far beneath oh, well, me. Yeah, like, yeah. I could fuck up so hard before I got to that and, line. And let's, let me be let me be really honest and say, I mean, it's not like I never phone it in. No, no, yeah. Right? It's not like it, it, it tends to be more situational. It tends to be more of figuring out that there are times when you in a, in a large organization are sort of told to do something and you know that, that whatever that something is bullshit or unlikely to turn into something, but there's no way that you, there's no good way for you to say, fuck, you know, so you figure out a way to not, knock yourself out so that you have energy for the things that you that are you think are more important well but so that's an interesting point you said because i think that uh, that's a lot of at least my job dissatisfaction over time is like when i get to that point where i've been there long enough to know what's going to turn into something and what isn't because you know and my my alarm clock is three years generally at a job Mm -hmm. because that's the period where i'm like oh none of this is going to turn into anything (laughs) i'm out you know so i think I, I guess I, I struggle with that because I wonder, you know, it clearly my, my resume says every three years I get a new job. Um, and that's and- becoming more the norm, though. I mean, definitely that's, that's becoming more the norm and less of the exception in, in, in the way the workplace works Sure, now. but that seems totally ADD. Like, that seems uh, to me, I mean, but I it's, guess... It- it's not just you, though. Organizations are ADD. Right, right, right. But I mean, I feel like it shows an inability to make some sort of commitment. And I, I understand that it's like, it's not just me or it's sort of the trend now. But wouldn't wouldn't the ideal situation eventually be to settle down with a good job? I mean, <laughs> I mean, like... I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I've always... I'm, I'm, I'm always sort of peripatetic. I'm always... I kind of figure out something. And I'm like, okay, I know how to do that now. I don't, yeah, right. That's the I don't worst. really, I don't really want to, you know, and, and maybe, you know, and if it's sideline, you ask me to do it occasionally, it's fine. But, but, you know, I don't want to keep doing it. And, you know, organizations, I think if they want to grow and they, and they want to take advantage of people, they figure out a way to do it. And, and unfortunately, a lot of organizations just never really thought about how to set themselves up to do that. You know, and, and that's the way, in fact, how if you're lucky enough, to become, say, a tenured professor where you, you you get the permission to do those things, right? To sort of follow, I mean, to an extent, to follow a lot of what interests you and not have to only ever do the things that you did to get there. You can change your research agenda. You can change up a lot of the courses you teach. And yeah, every, I mean, every there's compromises. There might be still some service courses you need to do that you, that you won't be able to get out of, but you, you get to horse trade and you get to do that. Yeah, but on the other hand, you've figured out the academic system, and now you yeah, can just rarefied stay air. at home right. and not do anything, air. too. Right. It's rarefied air. I, and I, I agree with you. I think that that's totally my problem, too. And I that, like, you know, once I've figured it out, now it's boring. Um, but I think, I wonder if that's increasing, too, just because of, uh, I mean, there's such an increased ability to uh, feed that. To, to, you know, that to get that minute of, of I figured it out. Or, you know, and I think that's like Wikipedia black hole is totally that but scenario. But there's still plenty of people who are intent on mastery, you know, who, I mean, I know, and I know them, and, and, and you know, who, who really latch on to something and, and 
it is really so important to them and so part of their nature that they they want you know whether you know and you see a lot in art but you see in lots of places i'm you know i i'm going to mass it i'm really good at this thing and i'm so good at it and i'm getting better that just doing it is satisfying and that that's i mean i get that and i i understand it and i think that there's enough variation in people still that that that, that still really exists out there but don't you think pursue. a lot of people are doing that 3 years at a time I don't know. Jobs? I mean, I don't, I'm not, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I think the three year at a time thing is still very much a, a sort of very small class of middle-class professionals uh, that I'm not really certain that it's, it's yet rampant or a problem. Um, and I'm not sure it's a problem even because I kind of feel like, well, wouldn't I want to live in a world where we get to do what we want to do. And if the, if an organization can, can fulfill that for us in some way, shape or form, and even if it's a compromise, great. And if it doesn't, well, you know, we can leave. And, and I, and I, I just think, uh, most of us, uh, especially, uh, at least, uh, middle-class people, <laughs> especially with middle-class white people and really middle-class males, uh, white males, uh, never had it so good. I mean, yeah, it's a rotten economy, no doubt. And, but if you were willing, if to really follow your nose, the opportunities to do so are probably better than they ever have been. Yeah. I realize that that's not a, that's not a popular opinion of optimism out there, but well, and the opportunity to find people who are interested in what you do is yeah. bigger than ever. Yeah, exactly. Right. And to find that niche. I mean, you, you may not get it exactly the way you think you deserve it. <laughs> you may not get it the way that somebody a generation ahead of you did. Uh, but the, you also have to sort of reckon with that a lot. While some people did, a lot more people really didn't have the opportunity then, and and that changes the it changes the game. Well, and I think a lot of that is you know people are aren't willing to quit their day job to play music every day as a studio musician and take a huge pay cut. Right. Well, and I think that's the issue too. Yeah, is, figuring out what it is. I mean, in that, in that values discussion, what what is important to you, and and if the money is important to you, and that's fine. That's a that's a thing you can choose. It has these things, but sometimes you go, well, you know, uh, the money's nice, but I can figure out how much I need to get by on and shoot for that. I had a manager who uh, once very blasé said to the, you know, every three and these are design managers. So every, you know, every three years, you know, you go to a little shop where you get to be artistic. And then three years later, you go to a big shop where you just do what you're told, but you get paid a ton of money. And it was like, do you do that three years oscillating every yeah. every three years? I've known uh, folks who were uh, sort of like tech activists. So, you know, working in and around indie media when that was uh, more of a movement in the uh, early part of the 2000s who were good and, and could get work in startups and make a ton of money for a year and quit so that they could finance the next three years doing activist work, renting a room, you know, eating you know, bear hippie food out of the co-op, go back and find another job programming for a year and, 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 and quit and live off that for three years. But why do you think like quitting and not have, why do you think you have to have a gig after you quit that job? Like, I feel like that's an interesting scenario. You have a gig. Well, I feel like, Oh, it's because that's what they wanted to do. No, I, I mean, understand yeah. those people specifically, right. but I think in culture, the idea that you're going to quit your job and just do nothing or is, is like, is a weird well, idea. That's a whole different topic, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know that I can quit and do nothing. Right. What I can do is I can quit and do things that often maybe people don't equate with being income generating. Yeah. Right. But I'm not happy doing nothing. Right. Ultimately, I will. I I get burned out on it. So there's only so much television I can watch or movies I can watch before I start wanting to either make movies or write about it or respond to it or do something that ultimately is productive. But if you, okay, so when someone at your work quits their job, Mm -hmm. the first question people are like, where are they going? Oh, yeah. And if the answer is like competitor, that is obvious. You're like, oh, yeah, competitor, that's obvious. Or, you know, place in a different Mm -hmm. part of the country because their significant other lives there. But if if they say, oh, they're not, they're not getting a job. (laughs) The, The obvious thing is, or I mean, the thing everyone concludes is, Whoa, that person really hated this job. Right, and 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 it's interesting because I I I I employ uh, people in who are creative, and and yet 
that happens. They leave and they're like, because I don't, and it's not even because they hate the job. It's more, okay, I do this job, but now I really just want to work on my own films. And it was nice to get the money, but I didn't have enough hours in a week because I was selling you 40 plus of them. And that it made it difficult for me to have, get people to shoot on a Tuesday morning because I was here having to, you know, help teach a class or, or schlep things around. So, I mean, people really do it. I think you see it a bit more in the, in, in, in the actual creative so-called industries where, where, you know, where people are, are artists. Right. And they got to take time off to tour. Yeah. And and things like that. Or, you know, you see it in in the university, they build it in and they call it sabbatical. Sure. Yes. I I think that, you know, I think, I mean, to me, it'd be great if all all jobs, but even, but sabbatical, but I think even sabbatical, the idea is like, you're going to go write your book. I mean, I think there's preconceived ideas of what that's going to be. There's an expectation. I mean, I mean, at least before you get tenured, if you don't use your sabbatical, write your book, you won't get tenured. And then after that, if you don't use it productively, you definitely won't be promoted. <laughs> You'll definitely sit at associate professor for the rest of your life. Um, but you know, you can be much more of a fuck off uh, for, during your, during your ten during your sabbatical after that. I think it's interesting because um, I, you know, I feel like uh, the years since I started in my current career, um, to feel very fast, but it's such a small, it's such a small field that, you know, you know everyone in the field and the thing i think probably surprised me most out of it is uh that i have to leave a job when uh i feel like my name is being used on shitty work and that <laughs> is uh, like i'll say that really upfront um uh that you know i'm sorry i can't put my name on this so i have to leave and um i said it to someone today and they gave me a fist bump which was cool i guess um i was like i can't continue doing this part of this this work because it's shitty and i'm not going to put my name on that and I think uh, it's funny because I feel like I think that comes off to other people as like, that's integ- integrity. But in fact, it's totally selfish. It's like, no one's going to hire me after this shit. So, Well, and, 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 it, and, and, it, and you, maybe we can call that integrity, but you're not accusing it. You're not using that as a line. You're holding it for yourself. And you're really using it as a line to, to change what you do, not as an avoidance for doing it. Yeah, I mean, I guess I just wonder, I mean, I'm... I've never been in those sorts of meetings that people have with their boss, but I guess I get the impression from my, in general, my life and also in those sorts of meetings that I'm going to just be super upfront with you. And, uh, because like, what's the point? Um, but I think that's another reason why people stay in those jobs and hate themselves is because, well, and it's, it's, it's like the same thing when you know people who are in like a terrible marriage and they tell you all the things that are terrible about their partner, but they never tell that person that they just like wince when they chew their food with their mouth open, but they never say like, Hey, you chew your, you chew your food with your mouth open. And I'm somebody who, I mean, it's not like I'm always up front, although I'm relatively upfront. I'm from New Jersey. Right. It's sort of a way of life. And I'm, which is why I can't live there. <laughs> Cause I don't, I actually, I'm actually not as good at it. Uh, but I, I reach a level, I reach this level of tolerance and I can no longer handle the circumstance I have to do or say something to eliminate the discomfort. That's yeah. what happens to me. And I, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to turn it in. I guess it's cause I'm not going to turn it on myself, turn it in on myself. I'm not, I don't want to be depressed and I really don't want to have an ulcer. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I find ways I'm I'm outward, to I get, feel to get that out and, and, and but then to change it so that it's not just it's not just good enough to get it out and it's not striking out the world. I mean I was, you know, sure I was twenty five and angry and I got over it. Uh and, and I realized that the world really wasn't doing very much to me that I that I wasn't really doing to myself. Right. So you get past that and you go, Well, all right, so it's more about a circumstance. Well, but that's it. I think people don't get that to that to change. People don't get to that point. They're they're not like Oh, they're like, oh, the world sucks for me. My coworker did some shitty thing. Uh, that's all pointed at me. Well, I mean, I, uh, this is very Buddhist, but I think that it's also everything that happens in your life. You you look at through the lens of it's happen. It's people are thinking about me and doing this thing, which is like no one cares. No one cares. No one's thinking you. about you ever. That, and when I when I figured that one out, that, you know, <laughs> and, and, and could could start really believing it and acting it, not just knowing it. Uh, yeah, to know most of the time, like, 
they're, they're, I mean, I'm caught in my own goddamn head, <laughs> right? And 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 you realize, Andrew, this is no regard about me at all. And maybe once in a fucking while, it is about you. And you'll probably know. It'll probably be made pretty goddamn clear to you when it is about you. Yeah, for like an hour today, I wore two different shoes at work. Just <laughs> I, it was an accident. No one, no one noticed. Yeah. They were radically different shoes. Yeah, exactly. Just, who cares? No one, no one cares about you. They're like. Oh, is there is there a run in, is there a run in my stocking? Um, oh, can everyone see my gut? Uh, yeah. Is this shirt too no tight? No one cares. And they can see my gut. No one cares. Right. No one cares. No one cares. I think it's a good place to wrap it up here. Yeah, no one cares about you. <laughs> we care, <laughs> but no one else we cares care. about you. We care. We're gonna help you with the secret because <laughs> when you said the secret, I was once on the L and uh, I was behind two girls talking about the secret. And one was sort of saying, well, the problem is, I'm just, I don't think I'm doing it right. I'm not trying hard enough. Oh, no. And that's the problem. Not trying hard enough. Not trying. At your life? At at whatever. I think the interpretation she took away was, right, that somehow the universe isn't going to deliver if you're not trying to make it deliver to you. But, But... But that's the thing. It was more like I have to try harder to ask the universe to give me my thing rather than actually try and get my thing. Right. Right. Like you're never going to you're never going to meet a a person unless you leave your house. Like I need I need to play the lottery harder. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need this mojo bag to, to be sc- bigger. I need to work the scratch off in a different direction. Right. Then I will the juju will come to you will come to you well jenny yes paul thank you thank you 